Do you like low taxes more than tall buildings? Does quality of life sound like an oxymoron? Do you wish work from home was more about home? Then Ohio is for you. Ohio has a business-friendly climate with 0% taxes on corporate income, R&D investments, and goods sold out of state. With a highly skilled and growing workforce, a low cost of living, and a high quality of life, Ohio is better for businesses and employees. Because Ohio isn't built for followers, they're building for leaders. Check out ohioisforleaders.com to learn more. Ever get homesick for anywhere but home? As you make your return to travel, let the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card help you reach new destinations and find new appreciation for the places you know and love. Expand your world and go boundless with the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Learn more at marriottbonvoy.com forward slash chase cards. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Hi, my name is Noah Ring, co-host of Let Freedom Ring. And I'm Paulette, also a co-host of Let Freedom Ring. Paulette and I started this podcast because we are both conservative college students who are tired of hearing David Hogg preach propaganda to our generation. It is our goal with this podcast to fight back against the mainstream media who seeks to turn our generation into socialists. President Reagan said it best when he said, If we lose freedom here, there is no place to escape to. Please join Noah and I in fighting for freedom by subscribing to our podcast that comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, enough of this boring intro. Let's get into the show. Hello, welcome back to the first episode of the brand new Let Freedom Ring podcast. I'm your host, Noah Ring. Uh, I have somebody else, finally, a co-host, which many people have been asking me to bring on because I guess I'm not cool. Uh, So, Paulette, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, everybody. I am Paulette, and I'm going to be one of the co-hosts for Let Freedom Ring, and I'm very excited to be here. Great. Well, Paulette, I think we just, I say we just hop on in. What do you think? Okay, I think that's a great idea. All right, so, Paulette, have you heard about this whole Students for Sunny movement? I have, mainly from you, and I think it's an amazing idea, and I'm very excited to see how it goes. All right, so for those of you who are listening, (laughs) um, who are listening, obviously, who haven't heard of this, uh, Sonny Perdue is in the running to be the next chancellor of the University System of Georgia. Basically, he'd be like the CEO of all 26 colleges and institutions throughout the state. Um, and you know, Sonny Perdue is no, he's no, uh, stranger to the show. He's been on before back, uh, during the runoff election. Um, but I, I just kind of wanted to highlight a little bit of why I launched this and why I thought he'd be a good chancellor. I, first off, I think they need to change the name from chancellor. I just don't like that name. sounds like we're in Germany, but anyway, uh, in 2004, then governor Perdue signed into law, right? It's very intimidating. (laughs) Yeah, it's very intimidating. You're correct. Uh, in 2004, then-Governor Purdue signed into law Bright from Start, a program that helped ensure students uh, and all children would start kindergarten ready for success. Uh, later in his term, Sonny Purdue saw to it that a graduation coach would be put into our high schools and middle schools to ensure that all students were on the path to their diploma. Uh, in his time as governor, Georgia saw its graduation rate rise from 63% to 72%. Now, obviously, that's all high school and middle school education. Um, But it also does, I think, relate into what he would do as chancellor, Um, because I think the biggest thing of of being the chancellor of the USG is because you don't really get a vote on things, but you become, you know, you're the the scapegoat. You're the you're the whipping boy. 
and 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 so what that would lead to is any time that the USG wanted something to be passed out of the state legislature, wanted something from the Department of Education, who else would be better to represent the USG than the former Secretary of the Agriculture or the former governor? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Paulette? You know, honestly, I really don't think that there could be anyone better to represent us as students. And I really think that if he gets put into office, you know, he can get a lot done and, you know, not even just with college, like just the whole educational system in general needs changing. And I think that Sonny could be a really strong figure in that. Well, I'm not sure if, if you know. So there's, well, I'm sure you know about this part, but I'm not sure if you know about where this is going. Sorry, my phone just fell. Um, so there, there's obviously students against Sonny and they don't want Sonny to, Purdue to be chancellor just strictly because he served in Trump's cabinet for four years. Um, that was actually launched by professors. That wasn't even launched by students. And it's completely okay that a professor has a say in this because in a way, professors will have to deal with whoever the next chancellor is. But you can't call yourself students against Sonny if you're not even really by students, if you're not really the whole organization is by students. Now, there are students involved, but I think that you, you should call yourself Georgians against Sonny or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or even just the educational system against Sonny. I mean, I really don't think that teachers should have that big of a say in it because, you know, you hear about all these teachers unions and, you know, they just end up being awful. So I really think that the students should be in charge of deciding their leaders. Just in my opinion, I mean, for the rest of everything else, yeah, adults can have a say in it. But I really think that students should be the ones to decide this election. No, I've, I've always 100% thought that even way back to when I was in when I was in high school, I've always thought that like student council and uh, we had what's called principal's council, which was basically a glorified like we'd go meet with the principal once, pretty much once a year. I was on it for like three years and we were supposed to meet once a month, but it, I think we met twice the enti- my entire scholastic career. So definitely a letdown there. But um, no, I think that you're 100% right. And another reason why I think that Sonny Perdue would be a good, ja- good chancellor is because he is a conservative warrior. He's never been afraid to to let people know what he thinks uh, or why he thinks that. And I think that if we want to get rid of indoctrination uh, in our schools and critical race theory, who better to lead that charge than Sonny Perdue? That's my personal thought on it. I completely agree. I really think that he should be the one to do it. I agree. And so if you if you guys agree with us and you want to sign this petition to make Sonny Purdue the next chancellor of the University System of Georgia, you can go to my website, noahring.org, and uh, click the button that says Sonny Purdue for chancellor or something around those, those lines. I'll make sure it's linked below. Um, but yeah, let's get into the actual news of the day. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I sent to uh, Paula just shortly before the podcast. So if she hasn't read it all, that's completely my fault. I read it, I promise. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, he's the one who led the suit against um, uh, four or five, six states um, about alleging voter fraud. Um, He revealed the only reason why New York prosecutors are going after the Trump organization. This is uh, via Martin Welsh over at Trending Politics, a great website, by the way. And so real quick, if anybody has, if anyone wants to guess what it is, you know, comment it down below. Uh, It's pretty obvious. But uh, the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said on Monday that evening that the Trump, that the New York prosecutor is only going after the Trump organization because it's a political attack on Republicans. 
He said, quote, they'll just keep digging and trying to ruin their lives because they disagree with them politically. And that is so sad to me. Paxton said during an interview on Newsmax, that type of action is taking place in this country, but that seems to be the direction of progressive Democrats. And unfortunately, sometimes even Republicans, it is not the right direction for the country. He argued that it discourages, quote, good people who are law-abiding citizens from wanting to run for office because they feel like they'll be convicted of something somewhere down the line by somebody because they disagree with their political views. And I think he's 100% right. I mean, we've seen this everywhere. I mean, even going back to college. I mean, there I know a lot of students who – I got a DM a couple of months ago about somebody who said, hey, what what do you have to say about people who want to – you know, be go join a TPUSA, go join a college Republicans club, but they're afraid that they'll get a, a, a F on their report card or an F on a paper or an F on this. And luckily, I live in a Republican state, or at least I hope it continues to be a Republican state. And Paulette also lives in a Republican state. But Paulette, what would you say to to college students around the country listening who who want to be more vocal about Republican policies but are afraid of backlash? Honestly, I was scared for a really long time to mention any of my political beliefs because it is very intimidating. You know, you hear about all these stories about these people who get kicked out of colleges and kicked out of all these places because of their political beliefs. But at the same time, if we don't do anything about it, they will just keep walking all over us because they think that we're not going to fight back. And, you know, fighting back doesn't have to be an elaborate scheme or an elaborate, you know, situation that we get into it could just be an instagram post or it could just be a debate or conversation with somebody with the different political beliefs it just it counts and i really think that even if you are scared you have to remember that the future of america and the future of college generations really do depend on us because this is more of the turning point for the country and then we get to decide whether it divides us or unites us so i really think that we should stand up no, I, I 100% agree with that. And Paul, I'm not even sure if I've told you this story. I, I think I've told it on the podcast before, but I remember it was my last semester being a high school student and Georgia has what's called dual enrollment classes. It's basically where you can go to a college, a local college, and you can take classes there and it counts as college and high school credit. So let's say you have to take government, you take the government class at the college, you don't have to take government in college and it counts as government in high school. It's a great deal. Um, and I recommend it to a lot of people, especially get you know some of those early on classes out of the way. So I was in a class. Um, I want to say maybe it was biolo- biology. It might have been environmental science. It was one of the two. I didn't pay that much attention. And I remember the professor saying it was right after it was January 2019, right after the midterm elections, when the Republicans you know won control in the Senate, lost control in the House. And I remember the teachers you know going on a on a tantrum about. Uh, Donald Trump and saying something about, well, I guess we can get to our lesson today because none of my students would ever vote for Trump. And I was first off, I was like, you're teaching in a county that is like 65, 70% Republican. So first off, we're right outside a military base. So, but I I just remember thinking that like, why exactly, you know, did you, first off, this isn't a government class. This is a science class. And I've, Unfortunately, I've heard that story from many, many people who say very similar things. And I think it's just sad, you know, that we can't, what I said is that my generation deserves an education, not an indoctrination. And I think that's truly where we're at. And I think that you're seeing a lot of people throughout the country. I mean, I've, I've seen viral videos almost every week of parents 
standing up and yelling about critical race theory. I'm sure you've seen those as well, Paulette. Yeah. So taking on to our, our next story, uh, Maxine Waters, everyone's favorite congresswoman, she's America's congresswoman for sure, criticized the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. This is via Christina Wong over at Breitbart. Uh, it says, quote, House Financial Services Committee woman, Chairwoman Maxine Waters, Democratic California, criticized the Declaration of Independence in a tweet on July 4th, suggesting it's, it is a racist document because it was written almost 250 years ago when there was slavery in the United States. While most of her Republican colleagues, Republican and Democratic colleagues in the House tweeted celebratory messages, she and several other African-American Democrats tweeted messages that, quote, highlighted racism in the country's history. Representative Cory Bush said the 4th of July is about freedom for white people. Uh, let us reflect on the full story of America today. Black people were not freed until 1776. Despite a system that's, that's stacked against us, we must continue to use our collective power to change that system. Now, I don't know about you, Paulette, but I think the fact that Cori Bush is a congresswoman saying this really just kind of makes it look, makes her look hypocritical saying this. I mean, we... What do you take of this whole America is is a racist country? What do you think of this? Okay, so this is actually a great timing. I actually just recorded an episode yesterday um, for my podcast about America being and all these allegations that America is pot. Uh, oh my gosh, is racist? Oh yeah, hold on. Go ahead and go ahead and tell people where they can find that real quick. Oh, okay. I am the host of the Peachy Politics podcast. Um, basically, it's conservative women, um, conservative college student women, and we're on Apple um, Podcasts, Spotify, and almost every place that has podcasts. But um, I had this whole long spiel because on July 4th, I kept seeing all these awful tweets and all these awful things about how America is awful and how they had pictures of, you know, the flag on fire and my thing about that is it's kind of hypocritical because they're constantly during July 4th being like, oh, all these Republicans are breaking flag code by wearing the flag. But why do they all of a sudden care when they're the ones who are posting pictures of burning the flag upside down on fire? Like, it's just kind of, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I feel like the whole thing about, you know, racism, I feel like racism, it's an awful thing, but... You know, I feel like it's just a word now that people throw out at everything. And, you know, a lot of people are tired of it. They don't actually believe that, um, you know, because the more that they do this, the more they're not going to have change. Because the more you just insult people, the more you divide America. No, I think you're 100% right. And definitely go listen to the podcast. She told me she won't invite me on, which is very rude of her. Um, But, no, I think that, um, no, I think you're 100% right. I mean, they... No, I, well, it's for... <laughs> I think you're 100% right. I mean, if you want low taxes, then you must be you must be homophobic. And if you want to, uh, if you're pro-life and you don't want babies to be murdered in the womb, then you must be racist. Even though, I mean, abortion kills way more black babies than white babies on a given year. And I think that, and I saw another thing where people were trying to, um, trying to uh, say that Frederick Douglass... Uh, was anti-July 4th and was anti-America, um, when what he said was the 4th of July was hypocritical at that time because black men were still, or black people, were still slaves and in bondage. But instead, what, and he, he, he went on to say that the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence are good documents 
And he said something about they'll eventually lead to the freedom of his people or, or African-Americans. And so I think it's crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about starting a Love It or Leave It uh, organization where we'll buy plane tickets for people who don't like the country. And what do you think about that? I think we should do that, Paulette. I think we should start that. Call their bluff. Send me the link. I, literally, I was telling my dad. I was telling my dad yesterday that I will personally buy tickets for people to go to China, North Korea, Russia, wherever they want to go, Venezuela. I mean, they love socialism, and you know what? I'll pay for their ticket. To, I'll, I'll pay for it. So I think that's a great idea. I love that. That's hilarious. No, I think it's a great idea, and I think that. Oh, we forgot to tell you by the way. Um, First off, I think it's a great slap in the face to every single person who's came before us who gave their lives for equal rights, uh, including Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Um, and actually, the next the, our guest who's coming up on in about 15 minutes-ish, he's a congressional candidate. He was labeled as racist during the last go-around, during the last cycle, by his extremely white opponent who uh, who said he was racist, even though, I mean, he was the president of Morehouse college school of medicine and i don't know if you guys know about morehouse but that's i think it's like 95 percent african-american it's hbcu so he'll be coming on but i think it's a slap in the face to every man every man and woman who put on a uniform and fought for freedom throughout the country and fought for freedom here at home i think that it's also i think that if you're you can't really call yourself oppressed if you're if you're a congresswoman like aoc said something about how uh, I think you remember this, how, when was it Hurricane Maria that hit Puerto Rico really bad in 2017? Well, her, her, gram, her grandmother apparently was living in terrible... Did you see that, the Daily Wire? Yeah. I did. Matt Walsh or whatever, that was, that was great. And then she said she wouldn't take the money, which was weird. But anyway, she had been a congresswoman for... She'd been a congresswoman for like three years up to this point, making 170k a year. She could have helped her grandmother. Um, that, that's just my thought on it. We got, and then I think we got. I think we can do about one more story. Maybe two, we'll try to get these next two stories in, and then we'll try to get Rich McCormick on. So this is uh, via Ophelia Ophelia Jacobson at Campus Reform, good friend of mine actually. Uh, on the Fourth of July, she went to Georgetown, and this is titled "College Students Are Not Proud to Be an American." She said, with 4th of July right around the corner, campus reform reporter Ophelia Jackson went to Georgetown University to see if students feel proud to be an American. The majority of students told Jacobson they were not proud to be an American. Some even said, quote, they were embarrassed. No, one student said. I think that a lot of things about this country are really embarrassing. Racist history, colonization, and even currently what's going on with politics and the cops. And then another said, I think that's a complicated question for me. Another student said, I think most of the time, no, at least over the past four years, it's been tricky to, to love to be an American. And I think this, this really is only just because of Donald Trump. Uh, who was it? somebody, I heard a story recently of somebody who was in 2017 was in Burbank, California, which is a very well-off city in California. And she said that she never knew what it was like to live under fascism until now. And I, there's the guy was telling me this. I mean, he said, there's, $150,000 cars driving around while they're eating a $30 breakfast a piece. So if that's fascism, I would love to live under fascism because people, 
Automa- this goes back to what we talked about earlier with, with Sonny Perdue. Just because Donald Trump supported something and Donald Trump loved America, then you must hate America. If Donald Trump said something bad about the troops, every Democrat would start to support the troops. If he said cops were bad, every Democrat would start to support the cops. Jacobson then asked students if they think the United States of America is the greatest country in the world. And one student said, quote, to be white, it's pretty good to live here. But overall, I don't think it's the greatest country in the world. Paulette, what do you think of this? Okay, so I'm very passionate about America. So I'm going to make this a small tangent. I'm going to make it as small as I can. I I apologize. But it makes me so angry because these people, like, if you were to go to any other part of the world other than Canada, you know, Europe, maybe part of Greece, like that whole area, you know, um, that part, that's okay. I mean, it's pretty nice over there. But if you go to any other part of the world... You'll look at America and say, wow, America is actually pretty great. And the it really bothers me how they say America is like the worst country ever because, you know, all these people fought for our freedoms. And, you know, these people thought and they had hope that America could change. And that's why they gave their life for America. And it just really bothers me because, you know, America has the most opportunities than most countries. Like they have, it has so many opportunities for people. We have some of the most diversity. It just really, it just really bothers me. But that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Okay. Well, you can keep going if you'd like. This is just as much your podcast as it is mine. (laughs) Keep ranting. You know, I think I might do a rant on the next episode. (laughs) I'll get some statistics. I'll bring that out. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. On the episode of Peachy Politics that you won't let me come on. No! Literally come on it this week. I will let you on it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, Democrats reportedly are worried that Kamala Harris can't be any Republican. What was that? I said Noah's bullying me over here. <laughs> I'm. Everybody watching this will understand that I'm not bullying you. I just want to be invited on a podcast. Anyway, getting back to the story. Have you heard that? that major Democrats are worried that Kamala Harris can't be any Republican in 2024, including Trump? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it kind of makes me happy. <laughs> I can't stand Kamala. I can't. I can't stand her. Me too. I can't. See, I, the thing is, I kind of feel bad for Biden because I know that he really doesn't know what's going on. And I don't know if I've told you this. He's somewhat a family friend somehow. I mean, he's nice, but it's elder abuse. Oh, he's, in, he's a nice guy. I mean, but he's... Yeah, elder abuse. Um, This is via Joseph Curl at the Daily Wire. Um, It says, throughout the 2020 campaign, reports world that President Joe Biden, 78, would serve only one term. Even though he said in December 2019, I don't have plans on one term, he would be 83 years old when he was inaugurated for a second term, which means likely he won't run again. I want to give a little tangent first. Um, My friend posted a picture today that that he got with George W. Bush, and today George W. Bush turned 75 years old. And George W. Bush hasn't been president since like 12 years ago. Um, and he's still younger than the current president. I think it's crazy. I'm waiting for that generational switch when we'll go to like, like when you go from Eisenhower to JFK, when we'll go back to having young presidents because these presidents are just too old. Um, anyway, goes and continues on many Democrats, including some current senior administration officials are concerned. She could not defeat whomever the Republican party puts up, even if it was Donald Trump. Axios reported, and for Axios to say that is 
very wild. Uh, some Democrats close to the White House are increasingly concerned about Harris's handling of high-profile issues and political tone deafness and question uh, her ability to maintain the coalition that Biden wrote to the White House, sources tell Axios Hans, Hans Nichols. Now, I really think the main reason they should be worried is because of her cackle. I think the cackle is the worst thing she has going on politically. That's just me. And her attitude. Do you remember when Tulsi Gabbard ruined her political career? Yeah. I, If there was one Democrat that I could, like, kind of support and kind of get behind and be like, you know what, even not given that I would vote for, but if she won, I'd be like, okay, we're probably in good hands. It would probably be Tulsi. Because I think that you can't look at somebody who served two two combat tours, took a break from her her campaign to go and do her service when she didn't have to, took, you know, a lot of times when these national guard and reservists join the military or join congress rather they kind of get exempted from having to go and actually do their two weeks a year one weekend a month tulsi never did that um which i really respect and there's i i typically always will vote for a veteran candidate over a non-veteran candidate just kind of in general that doesn't always work but i can tell you firsthand that kamala has never been popular i remember i i was talking to my buddy Jer. i was talking to my buddy i won't say his name um and he's he's gay um and we were talking and he also he was very it was very weird because he's very liberal um and paulette will like this he's very liberal but he uh he said that he was voting for doug collins for senate which which i thought was great but he also told me about how much he did not like um he did not like kamala harris which i don't really blame him i don't really like her either but for different reasons he he said that you know Joe Biden lost his vote when when Kamala became the nominee or the vice presidential nominee, and I think that that really does go into how mu- how unpopular she is. And this is also following last week when Politico dropped a bombshell citing nearly two dozen current and former vice presidential aides saying one person's word that the office was a a bleep show. This is kids friendly, so I can't really say that, but um. You know what are your, what are your thoughts on this? First off, to get twenty four people to to come out against you is quite crazy. No, I I really don't think so because we saw with the primary, she couldn't even make it to what state was it? Was it Iowa before she dropped out? She she didn't make it to her home state of California. She dropped out before her home state of California. Okay, yeah, no, it's just so she literally is awful. She's awful. She's awful. She's awful. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, at least she went to the border down in El Paso, not even where the problem is. Don't even get me started on that, Noah. It makes me so angry. <laughs> so, Paulette, while we're, we got a few minutes until Rich is on. Why don't you tell the, tell, the, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about you and what you believe while we're waiting? Okay. So, hey, everybody. I already said my name, but uh, I feel like obligated to say it again. (laughs) I'm Paulette. I go to the University of North Georgia and I do basically all online, but I actually used to be a liberal. I know, I know, I know. That's kind of bad, but I flipped parties back last, uh, I think March because of the whole, you know, because I have a police uncle and the whole, um, ACAB and all that stuff was really disrespectful to me and it made me do more research into, you know, the party that I was believing in. Um, And then I flipped and I joined the Doug Collins campaign and now my life is better. (laughs) And I'm a lot happier. (laughs) 
I think our entire lives would be better if the Rich, if the Doug Collins campaign would have won out over Kelly Loeffler. Oh, 100%. But literally being a Republican has made me so much happier because I feel like with liberalism, you're just so full of hate all the time and you just get so frustrated about stuff. And it's just so ridiculous because the stuff that they're pushing, you know, you have liars within your own political party and you have people who are telling you things and if you don't post a certain thing, you're not actually this party or whatever. And it's just a lot of pressure for no reason. It's a very, like, group mentality, whereas, like, conservatism is a very individualistic mentality. Yeah. I mean, we have so many different, you know, you have neocons, paleocons, you have America First, you have libert- the libertarian right, but on the left, I mean, if you're not as far left as it comes, then you might as well be a Trump supporter. Yeah. If you don't believe that she should be able to abort a baby at 40 weeks as it's coming down the birth canal, then you're a white supremacist. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Let me just say one thing. One of the other reasons why I flipped party was um, parties was because I was very pro-life. And, you know, you can't be pro-life and be a Democrat. So I was constantly shamed for that. And I realized because I, you know, I wasn't really that big of a Christian for a while. But lately, I've started growing in my faith. And that's also what really made me flip because I realized a lot of the stuff that they were talking about was not, you know, how I felt about the world. So... Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do, like, we can do, like, an entire show on you going from being a liberal to a conservative. Um, because I did actually did not know that about you. So. I would love that. Yeah, maybe we can talk about it on your podcast if you ever invite me on. Thing. You're going to be on it. Literally come on it tomorrow. I dare you. <laughs> send, me, send me an invite to record and I'm there. Okay, I will. <laughs> All right, we are joined now uh, by Rich McCormick, Dr. Rich McCormick. Uh, Dr. or I, I'll call you Rich. Rich, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, I'm uh, Dr. Rich McCormick. I'm a uh, former Marine Corps pilot, current ER doctor, and a uh, congressional candidate in the 7th District. So, Rich, I've known you for, what, two years now, a little over two years now. Um, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Why, why would you go from, you know, being a doctor, uh, being, you know, well-respected to, as we saw in the last campaign cycle, getting absolutely lied about, um, why, why would you, why would you jump into a race again, knowing that your opponent is not going to be any less vicious than she was last time? Like what is making you want to run for office? Well, I think the, the thing that got me into politics to begin with is this uh, general mistrust of politicians. Uh, Plato once said that the problem with not being in politics is that you're bound to be uh, ruled over by your inferiors. And, and I think uh, the, there's nobody you can trust but yourself when it comes to uh, the way you want to get things done. Uh, now, if I had a, a best buddy who was running for Congress and I trusted him or her uh, wholly, then maybe it would be a different scenario. But uh, two years ago, I literally didn't know any politicians, knew none. Uh, and I had voted, but it didn't mean I actually knew people. I didn't go out and do the homework. I've always been a pretty busy guy when I was in the military. Most of us stayed pretty apolitical. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, my first real taste of politics was when I was in uh, Rwanda in 94. I remember uh, we were actually stationed in Tebe, Uganda. We weren't allowed to go into country, even though we could fly around there, uh, because of the political uh, arena at the time, basically, by Bill Clinton. wouldn't let us go into country because the U.N. had pulled out. They lost, like, about 11 soldiers. 
UN, who I have no respect for as, as a peacekeeping force, pulled out a million people died. You had babies ripped from uh, women's arms and dashed on stones. You had people hacked together to death by machetes. Uh, really ugly scenario. Fast forward a, a few years in the future, and you had the Liberian Revolt. And uh, the Marine Expeditionary Unit was sent into the capital. We secured the capital. The president was exiled. About 250 people died. And the Black Caucus came out and said, George Bush waited. Uh, he, he didn't go in fast enough into Africa because he doesn't care about black people in Africa. In fact, the quote was, doesn't give a damn about blacks in Africa. Now, the hypocrisy of that was pretty amazing considering a million people died. We never went in versus 250 people went in and we went in right away. And yet that was the message. So I, I realized at that point it had nothing to do with blacks in Africa. It had everything to do with political power and the way we spin messages. And that made me totally re lose respect for politicians right there. Um, then fast forward where I am now, two years, well, a little over two years ago, about three years ago, uh, I went down to the Capitol with Medical Association of Georgia with a bipartisan solution to surprise billing. And it was a Republican who basically was blocking our legislation to solve it because he thought he had something superior, which had no support. Ours had pro-advocacy, uh, patient advocacy groups uh, behind us. It was a common sense solution. It made sense. But it was being stifled by Republicans. And I thought, man, th these are supposed to be the good guys. And it got me mad, mad enough to actually get involved in politics. And, uh, and so when I put my application in and, and said, well, how do you do this? Because I had no idea how you get into politics. Never considered, didn't know uh, if there was an application process or whatever. Went down, met some people, and they thought, well, you have a, a decent uh, resume. We'd like you to run for Congress. And, and here I am uh, from a guy who was picked to come in fourth in a primary last election cycle. Uh, where I was going against my own state senator and, and two millionaires and, and a whole bunch of other people um, to a place where we won without a runoff and won decisively. We, the next uh, nearest opponent was 40 points behind us. And I think that just goes to messaging, hard work, and, and understanding what, what kind of resume you bring to the table as far as representing people. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. I just want to ask you one question about how um, what is your plan to put America first on the national scale? So, first of all, realize that you only have one vote out of 435. As a freshman congressman, you're not going to be able to push legislation to the speaker. You can co-sponsor bills. You can do some very smart things. I think I have a, a, a broad spectrum background in healthcare, in foreign policy, in military, all kinds of things I've had experiences with. I have my MBA, but really, what's one guy going to make a difference in the big scheme of things? Uh, first of all, you have to be good at your constituent services, which is really important making sure that you are responsive to your population in your district. But secondly, I think one of the things that we as a Republican Party lack is messaging. If we're going to grow our party, if we're going to succeed in the future, we have to be way more diverse than we are right now. We have to grow the party. We have to make sure we're reaching out to natural allies, minorities and immigrants, people who think like us, people who come from all over the world for that American dream that's unique to here. And, and, and I've been all over the world. I've been to 50 countries. Uh, a lot of them bad places, a lot of them good places. But I can tell you, it doesn't matter. You can pick the closest to America you can possibly find. It could be Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, uh, you name it, France. Uh, whatever country you want to try to liken to the United States, I dare you to find another country that's even close to the opportunities that the United States has. It is unique to this world. Uh, it's the only place you can come from anywhere in Africa, from South America, from Mexico, from Far East, uh, India, no matter where you come from, this is the one place you can come here not speaking the language, not looking like everybody else, not having any money, not having any family connections, uh, and within one generation be wildly successful. You can be a millionaire. You can be as successful as you – you're only limited by yourself. 
and your own uh, abilities, your own hard work. Uh, and people know that about America. You come here for that American dream that is unique to here. Now, right now, I think we're in jeopardy of losing that. And we can, we can stress that a lot, but we have to reach out to our natural allies. Uh, if we continue to have a, a, oh, let's run to the burbs, let's run to the country and find our, uh, motivate those people who aren't voting to vote, I think it has to be much more comprehensive than that. We need to be much more big tent. We need to include those people that are natural allies who think conservatively, who are, and I believe minorities and immigrants are those people who we give the best opportunities to excel from. I think we represent the American dream and all the things we're trying to do are for the little people. Uh, we need to beat down that idea that billionaires are only for Republicans. As a matter of fact, most billionaires side with Democrats. Most billionaires have money in the bank and they don't care if you increase their taxes because it's already in the bank. You're going to punish the people who are the most productive, the people who are trying to get ahead, the people who are going to try to match that power brokership, that already that the aristocracy that already is in the United States that's trying to be protected by Democrats and billionaires who don't want competition. And that's the message we got to get out there is that we are for the little guy. We are the best hope. We do represent the American dream that people have been coming here for decades to achieve. And anything else is just banter. It's, it's sidetracking. It's going after emotion. It's not content. And you can see everywhere the Democrats have dominated, minorities and immigrants don't do well. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 percent. You're 100 percent correct. So I really want to ask you this because, you know, you're one of 14 people running for Congress last year. And you're one of 16, maybe 16 people running, you know, on a national or on a, on a prominent stage. You know, from you looking back at the 2020 election, what do you think really, you know, what do you think we could have done differently as a Republican Party or, or yeah, as a Republican Party, you know, as a state to do better in, to do better, you know, in 22, 24 in the years that follow? So, so one of the things is, the thing I just mentioned is, is reaching out to a diverse crowd of people to win over that message, to have a more comprehensive message. Uh, I did not like the way we advertised and like what we did in the runoff. I thought we were stale. I think we react to polls rather than paint a vision. Now that you didn't see Reagan go out there and holding his finger up in the wind saying, oh, which way is the wind blowing? I will preach to that message. He painted a message, a visionary message that was forward looking, that applied to everyone, that gave people hope and prosperity for their families for the future. Uh, if you're going to sit there and concentrate on red meat for Republicans, that's great. But it's not going to grow the party. And if you're going to sit there and hate and argue with people, that's not going to grow the party. I keep on saying, look at the Republican Party like a church. Uh, you can die as, as a church by being a bunch of blue hairs that, uh, and no offense to people who are older, who've been around forever. That's great. But that, that's not, those churches are dying because they have the same stale message. They have the same stale arguments. They're very exclusive. They won't allow any latitude or any, any discussion of diverse topics because their way is the right way, and, and they're going to continue to divide their church, split the church, and eventually you die on a vine. Or you can be more comprehensive and say, just like Reagan did, if you agree with 80% of the things I agree with, then you're not my enemy. We're on the same side. We need to be accepting of people. We, we can't just name call everybody who doesn't agree exactly with what I agree with. Um, I just got the phone with several donors. You'd be surprised how many people we have that are allies to us in the way we want to run our government. When you want government out of our business, when you want to allow us to have the ability to think for ourselves and have the individual freedoms that we're asking for, then you turn around and say, except for when you disagree with me, you're being just like a Democrat. You're saying, I want you to be just like me. And if you're not ultra conservative and every single thing I am, then you're a rhino and you can't be, you know, I'm going to work against you. That's what the Democrats do. 
They say, if, if you disagree with me in any way, shape, or I'm going to vilify you. I'm going to make sure the government dominates you and, and controls your life. And everybody has to think the, same, think the same way. We have to deal with this disease process with COVID only my way or, or no way at all. That's just the wrong mentality. We have to have a big, big uh, tent mentality. We have to allow people to have differences, just like in a church, or your church will die. And when you, when you reach out to people to convert people to conservative thought process, it can't be just beating them in an argument. That, that may make you feel good, but that's not going to grow your church. I don't go and study the Bible by saying, you're a horrible person, and let me tell you how bad you are, and let me prove you wrong in an argument. That does not win people over to your, to your faith. It's loving people, letting them know that I have something to offer you that it's not for me, it's for you. And I want you to succeed. I want your family and your children to be wildly successful, independent of me. And this isn't for me. This is for everybody. And once you get that message across, you grow the party. But if you handle it like an argument every time you go into it and you're just fighting everybody, that's not going to grow the party. We have to have a vision. We have to have something that attracts people to something that's better. And so many times we're just swinging at the air. We're just raging. And, and this can't be just about rage. It can't be about one politician. It has to be about we, the people. That's how you're going to grow the party. That's the future of the party. That's how Reagan did it, and he had 49 out of 50 states. If you want to win a narrow election every once in a while, keep raging against the machine. Quit, keep hating people. Keep beating over the head, and you'll recruit those minorities um, to the other side. Well, my next question is, um, what are some things that you have sacrificed for the American people, whether it be your time, your, um, I guess, your neighbors? Have people disagreed with you and have you lost friends because of this? Just, you know, so, well, first of all, I think I think I pretty much lived my life as a service to my country. I spent over 20 years of my life uh, as a military guy. I spent 16 years as a Marine Corps helicopter pilot. Uh, I spent some time as an airborne guy with 101st, 82nd, 10th Mountain. I uh, spent some time uh, also uh, as an ER doctor since I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, ten, four years, uh, my last four years in the military was spent in Camp Lejeune. My last tour overseas was in Afghanistan in 2016. Before that, I spent times in uh, the Persian Gulf, Africa, uh, in multiple combat zones. Uh, my, my sons were growing up at that time. I was a single parent going into medical school and, uh, and was very fortunate to have a wife that adopted us in the middle of medical school. Uh, really, really came through for us. Uh, uh, but but in the end, I think my entire life has been over serving people. I, I, during the pandemic, I've been an ER doc, serving night shifts in the ER while campaigning. Um, I've served 20 years as a youth minister. Uh, I, I think that a life of service is a worthy life. I, I think that the people who I see in the ER who are depressed, anxious, suicidal, all people who are focused on themselves and their own problems, it's a very depressing place to be in. I think God created us to be servants. Uh, I think our happiest time is when you're focused on other people because people realize it's not about you and you'll have more friends than you ever realized and you'll have more things to do than to worry about your own problems, your own strife, and it won't be a depressing place because it'll be what you're naturally created for, which is service to others. Uh, I, I think that's uh, front and center to what we're about. I think that's why constituent services are, are so important because if you're only one out of 435 votes, you may or may not move the needle at all. But if you're focusing on each and every constituent who's calling your office and who has something that needs to be taken care of, then you're a servant. And then it's not about you. I don't know whose phone keeps on going off, but turn it off. I love that. That's awesome. It's not my phone. Um, (laughs) It's not mine. (laughs) It's got to be somebody's. But um, 
Well, you know, I really, I, do, I really do want to know this because you, you've kind of hinted at it. What do you, because I've been in, in disagreements with people, you know, from ranging from 80 years old to people my age um, about, you know, what is a conservative? I was just on uh, Brian Pritchard's show this morning kind of talking about what I think. But what, what if you had to define a, a 21st century, you know, 2021 you know, if you would consider that you're conservative, what exactly, like, what would that look like to somebody? Like, what, what would, what would, what is a conservative to you? Because a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on it. Okay, so that's that's a that's an interesting topic. So, I, one of the things that I, I, I really cherish about the way uh, my experiences in life have gone, I was at Morehouse School of Medicine as uh, as a medical student. I went there because I was a single parent at the time. And it was closest to my support network. I had three little boys, ages two, three, and five at the time. And uh, and by my senior year, I became student body president at a school that's 6% female, about 80% black, and about 95% liberal. And, uh, and the reason that happened, that was the same year that Obama was elected, by the way. And, and uh, the reason I cherished that time is because uh, even though I didn't hide my politics, I was able to get along with some people who had very diverse backgrounds. And, and I think being a conservative is more than just like I said, an idea of I want less government involvement in my in my finances. Um, some people say more involvement in in their personal. I maybe kind of lean a little more libertarian, but but I am very pro life because I believe that's an actual life with actual uh, rights themselves. But when you frame an argument and you're having a discussion with anybody, I don't care if you're liberal or conservative, you have to go back to how it's framed. I'll give you a perfect example. When President Trump was discussing the COVID issue, uh, I remember BBC um, going in and trying to divide me from President Trump. They're like, uh, you know, President Trump says you're a very good friend of his. Would you consider him a very good friend of yours? I knew what they were trying to do because they knew that we were in a marginalized uh, race where it was going to be 50-50 and, and we may or win or lose depending on my link to the president. I said, I love the president's uh, uh Initiatives. I think that what he's done has led to lowest uh, employment unemployment rate ever in African Americans and Hispanics. One of the lowest ever in females. I started going off on all the things he succeeded in. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what about their, uh, his response to COVID? And I said, well, look, you tell me what he didn't bring to the table. Uh, what didn't he give the governors that they asked for? And and then I want you to judge each governor according to what they've done. And I think if you're going to have a discussion with people, instead of beating them down about what they believe and getting sidetracked by all the emotional um, to-do of politics, I want you to just take a step back and, and realize that there is a history that we can, we can cite that's not just the national historic uh, perspective of, oh, look what happened in, in Cuba, look what happened in China, look what happened in Greece or Venezuela or any of those places that have failed because even in France we can show how uh, – these places have failed as, as socialist countries or as communist countries. But we can go right here in the United States and look at California and New York, two states that have been the most successful states ever to exist, ever to exist in world history. When you talk about uh, per capita GDP, their ability to produce a product. I mean, look at California at one time was probably in the top three, if not top five for uh, GDP, if you count it as a country. Uh, New York, same thing. Uh, amazing growth in population, in industry, in wealth. And yet in the last 10 years, they've been shrinking. They shrank so much, by matter of fact, that in the last few years that they've been shrinking by millions to the point where they're going to lose a congressional representative. As a matter of fact, if you counted 
only citizens and not non-citizens, they both lose two. Of course, they don't want to count that way because they don't want to be uh, less represented, which would give us a, an advantage with the Republicans. But think about it. Why would they be shrinking? They have the same resources. They have the same topography, ports, uh, industry, diversity. So why are they shrinking by millions? There's only one reason. It's bad government. So we don't have to look outside of our, our country. If you want to see where minorities and immigrants are doing poorly, it's where the Democrats are dominating. Just do that side-by-side -side comparison, but don't do it in a confrontational way. Just do it as a matter of fact. Let me, let me show you, kind of like what Trump would say sometimes, is like, let me show you what have you got to lose by going to a conservative uh, message. We have the ability to, to paint the picture of something brighter and better for the future of America without demonizing everything that they say and getting sidetracked by these conversations that don't matter. And we don't need to hold up our, our finger to the wind and see what's, what's popular this week. We need to focus on what we know is, is winning attitudes. Instead of reacting to polls, we need to paint the picture. That's the future of the party. And if you want to talk about conservative, that's what a conservative should be. That's how we need to define the message. No, and I completely agree about that, especially if there's like a big divide in the country. Um, speaking of California, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but I kind of want to know your opinion on it. How do you feel about the governor um, recall of election for California? It's overdue. That guy is, is uh, California kind of gets what they ask for. Unfortunately, he, he is a disaster. Um, but they, they've asked for that. I mean, I remember when Governor Brown was reelected over and over again, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Reelecting the same person over and over again and expecting different results. Definition of insanity. Uh, they, they brought it on themselves. They can't help themselves. They keep on doubling down on their failed policy, which is just bewildering to me. Well, we raise taxes and yet we're getting less revenue. Let's do it again. And so more and more people who pay taxes are moving out of state. Uh, they're left with the people who are sucking them dry. And they think that this socialist utopia is going to work because we have a ton of money. And California does have a ton of money. But you're bleeding the well dry and they don't have enough money for all the social programs. And one of the dirty little secrets of, of socialist countries and the promises, first of all, that they never work. The reason is because you're never done giving away enough things to buy the next boat. And eventually you do run out of other people's money and then you're done. And then you can't help anybody, not even yourselves. No, 100 percent. I 100 percent agree with that. And. I, I just can't wait to see who the nominees for each election are because I really I think it'd be great. This is probably the first time in modern history that a governor has been recalled. Um, I want to I want to take a step back away from kind of I would say political, um, but kind of political. I mean I remember yeah the 2019 state convention. I met you and I was like I was like there's something about this guy. I mean he's you know marine uh, through and through. And I remember I remember walking. I was talking to somebody at the time and they were like man. Rich is a nice guy, but he's got no chance. And like you said, you were up against, um, you know, a pretty well-known state senator, two millionaires. There ended up being like 10 people in that race, I believe. You know, what do you think that the McCormick campaign did? Because I remember on primary night looking at my phone and going, what do you mean, Rich McC I thought you were the front runner, but I didn't know that you were going to win it outright against 9, 10, 11 opponents. What do you think that your campaign did differently? Let's say there's, let's say there's, you know, somebody who wants to run for state house listening to us or a congressional seat. What do you think your campaign did differently that other campaigns could do to, to move above, to move above and to win overwhelmingly on, on a primary like you did? Well, a few things. First of all, uh, it, it was surprising to my own strategist. He said, there's no way we're going to win without a runoff. And even president Trump called me after he said, 
I did not call that. And he said, I'm, oh, I'm 77 for 77, but I didn't call it. How, how'd you do it, Rich? And I remember him asking me that too. And I, and, and some of it's just being authentic. Uh, if you're authentic, then what's supposed to happen is going to happen. People who are, one of the people that I was running against was uh, one of the first people to announce, put a million dollars in a race and came in almost dead last, finished next to a person who put a thousand dollars into the race. And, and that's because I think that, that the message was not truly her. Um, and, and it's not, I, I'm not holding that against her. I just think that people can tell if you're being you and whether you're, if you're you, at least the cards fall where they may win or lose. You're who you are. When you try to be something that you're not, it doesn't come across right. I think I'm authentically me. I'm unapologetically me. Uh, I think, uh, we have a good story. Uh, I think I've lived a life full of diverse experiences, whether it be as a youth minister or as a Morehouse uh, school medicine guy, or as a Marine, or as a rugby player, or as a uh, uh, an American gladiator, whatever. It doesn't matter. All the things I've done in my life have defined me. Uh, multiple tours overseas, um, just a, a life now that I'm, I'm as an ER doctor in the middle of a pandemic. That's all just me. I didn't plan any of this stuff. Uh, it wasn't designed for politics. It was just designed for, for the way that God called me. Uh, so I think, first of all, you just have to be you. Not everybody has the same story. Uh, now, you know, when on American Idol, uh, a lot of people can sing well, but not everybody has a good story and people like a good story. They want to hear somebody who's had an experience that made them uniquely qualified for what they're looking for. And, and I think that's something that's authentic. Uh, you have to be, not everybody can be Trump. As a matter of fact, nobody can be Trump except for Trump. That's why it worked for him. Anybody who tries to copy Trump, for the most part, is going to fail because nobody else is Trump. Um, and I think when I, when that's what my message to the president was, I say, Sir, I'm just being me, just like you're being you. Uh, it works for you and it works for me. I mean, in just totally different ways. Um, we actually outperformed the president by 5%, outperformed uh, Leffler and Purdue. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with authentic relationships we had way before politics. Some of it had to do with relationships I had at the hospital, at churches, uh, with working our butts off night and day. I mean, I worked night shifts so I could campaign during the day. It meant a lot less sleep. Uh, my family had to sacrifice uh, it requires doing things that you don't always enjoy. Who, who likes calling people all the time uh, to try to get money? I mean, that's a horrible thing to put on anybody. Uh, and yet it's a necessary evil. So anybody who wants to go into politics, be ready for all the things that you don't necessarily naturally want to be attracted to. It is a lot of hard work. And you are going to instantly alienate about half of your friends because as soon as you post, I am a Republican or Democrat, half your friends are going to instantly desert you because that's how alienated we become in our society where we become divisive and, and, and not able to have a conversation anymore, which is just a shame. So I, I've leaned heavily on those relationships I had before politics to try to get past that, at least with that small percentage of people that will, are willing to do that. Yeah. Um, one last question. What accomplishment are you the most proud of, whether it was in politics, you know, in Congress or just in your life? I think I've, I've always tried to carve out time. Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for grace because I know I've failed a lot because there's never enough time in my life for everything I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I, when I gave the commencement speech at Morehouse, uh, I remember the speech was centered around the fact that you, you there's a lot expected from everybody. You're expected to be very academically successful, but that you're supposed to be prayerful, that you're supposed to have good exercise and be well-read and be a good friend and be a good father, be a good husband. All the things that are put on you, there is simply not enough time to do everything well and then run for office and have a job and all those things. 
So I'm very, very thankful for grace, first of all. Uh, I have very, very, um, I've made every attempt to put my priorities uh, before me so that my family would have some time. Uh, when I was going through medical school, I would I knew I wasn't going to be first in my class. I knew I, my grades were going to suffer because every day I'd come home and bounce on the trampoline and play nurse swords with my sons because that was so important. Uh, because if they didn't have those memories, uh, I would be lacking as a father figure that could give them any guidance in life. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that my children understand that God comes first, uh, that that service to your country is important, that service to your community is important, whether it be in your church, uh, in the military, or as a friend uh, who visits people in the hospital. Whatever you do, make sure you're invested in other people. And I think that's the, the lifetime service that I've had, um, that people know when they call, I'm going to answer and I'm going to respond. Uh, and it has nothing to do with politics. As a matter of fact, it transcends politics. And it transcends, it transcends uh, political parties. This is about we the people succeeding together. It's about me hoping good things for all people and getting that message across in the way that we do politics. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> you know, thank you. You know, thank you so much for coming on, Rich. Um, you know, if there's somebody listening right now who, who wants to get tied in and wants to, you know, help out Rich McCormick, because I think, what was it like? There was only like a couple thousand vote different last time. So if there's somebody listening who wants, you know, either phone bank or, you know, if they live in the area, knock doors, uh, you know, how, how can people get in touch with you and your campaign? RichMcCormick.us is the best way. McCormick spelled just like the spice, RichMcCormick.us. Is our website. There's a place to sign up, place to donate, place to uh, get in, in touch and see what we're about. Uh, come one, come all. We're about a, uh, a super experience. I, I think we have uh, a unique kind of campaign and a unique uh, staff. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm blessed by such good people that work with me and around me. Uh, it's just one Great. big team. Yeah, so richmccormick.us. We'll make sure we put that down, uh, down below. We'll have to We'll have to record the next one in your uh, in your congressional office once you win this time, okay? Sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Ring. Episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'd love it if you shared our podcast with your friends and family. It helps us reach new listeners and provide them with the truth about our generation. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Right now, one in seven people around the world needs a pair of glasses but can't get them. That's why OneSight exists, to help people everywhere get the glasses they need to learn more, earn more, and see a clearer future. How can you support OneSight's mission in communities around the world? All it takes is a simple donation to improve someone's life by giving them clear vision. Donate today at OneSight.org. That's O-N-E-S-I-G-H-T dot org.